morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to a recruiting-focused episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Neil Schulman. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at All Kinds Weather and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. We've got a new contributor with us starting with today's pod. You may know him on Twitter as at Mr. Chris Bits. You may also know him from the event that got him that nickname when he served as the celebrity Mr. Tubis before a Gator football game. So today we're going to be introducing him, get to know him a little bit better, and uh, also talk about the explosion on the recruiting trail that the Gators have enjoyed in recent days. But before we get to that, as always, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of y'all that are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans, uses those donations to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. We'll pay for flights if necessary, for rental cars if necessary, hotels, game tickets, gear, swag, food, all expenses paid trip to the swamp for a special fan for the first time. We have closed our applications for this season down to a couple of finalists and we will be announcing the winner soon. But if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next season, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Of course, as always, donations are very much appreciated. So if you would like to help us out, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com and click on the donate button. And while you're there, you can also click around and see some of the campaigns we've done in previous years. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above or really anything digital marketing related, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them our business. Two, it is run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a UF alum who also happens to be a US veteran. And three, I can personally vouch for them as they produced my new logo and the new Gator Collective site. And they've got a ton more Gator related stuff coming up on the horizon. So be sure to keep your eye out for that. Speaking of which, last housekeeping item, um, I've extended the Easter egg hunt in the new in all kinds of weather logo because of the main topic of discussion tonight, that recruiting explosion. It was kind of hard to push that link out in the midst of all that news and FNL. So remember, there are 15 hidden details in our new logo. All 15 of them are directly related to something about Florida Gators athletics. Thanks to our friends at the real estate firm Savvy Ocala. We are running a contest where the first person to find 10 of those Easter eggs in our new logo wins free tickets to a Gator baseball game in 2023. Game obviously is to be determined. But I will say that the CEO of Savvy Ocala typically purchases season tickets, winds up going to about a third to two-fifths of the games and he'll sell the rest of them or he'll donate the rest of them. So 
there will be whatever the home slate is for next year. The Gators will play Miami at home. They will get the Georgia Bulldogs at home for a series. They'll have a single game against FSU at home, obviously. Um, whatever the home slate winds up being, though, probably between, I would estimate, 50 and 60% of those uh, will be possibilities for you to choose from. As the time gets closer, the schedule is unveiled. We will be happy to work with you to find a game that works for both parties. So with that all taken care of, we have our new contributor, Chris Yanes, on with us today. Chris, I mean, I guess the logical place to start is by saying welcome. You and I have been informally talking Gators sports for several years now and on, on an informal basis as, as, as friends and as, as two people who love the Florida Gators. And and honestly, it felt like if I didn't add you on to my brand, somebody else was certainly going to add you on to theirs as you're obviously a wealth of, of knowledge of all things Gators and super dedicated, super devoted, also fair and reasonable, which is exactly what we want to do on this pod. So with that said, welcome aboard. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Neil. appreciate it. Always love talking Gator football, and it's it's definitely getting a little more, uh, especially today now that fall camp started. It, the, uh, everybody's excited, I think, to really just finally kick the ball off uh, a month from today. Actually, about a month exactly from today, be in the stadium, hopefully watching Florida play Utah. Yeah, it's unfortunate that August is one of those months with, or yeah, one of those months with 31 days as opposed to 30. So you got 31 more days as opposed to 30, which could be the case in some other months. But nonetheless, we are going to be either 30 days or less than 30 days away from kickoff by the time this drops. So almost there y'all. Um, first things first though, Chris, we do a segment with every guest that we have on called the lightning round, which helps them get to know you better. And it's applicable in your case, because you have a very, it, your Twitter name has a reason behind it. So we'll get to that uh, shortly, but first question is always the same. How did you become a Florida Gator? I've been a Florida Gator since the moment I was born. Um, I'm a fourth generation Gator in my family. So both my parents went to school there. Um, my grandparent, one of my grandparents went to school there. Um, and he had family before that go to school. So in the fourth generation, my family to attend the University of Florida, I came home in the Gator onesie. So it was uh, just by birth. Uh, I was a Florida Gator. That's awesome. That That's awesome. Um, don't think I've had another, I mean, we've interviewed athletes uh, ranging from having played for the Gators last season to 30 years ago or so. Not one of them has said they came home in a Gator onesie. So that's, that's <laughs> a special elite level of, uh, of Gatordom. Um, so what is your favorite Gator jersey color combo, both at home and on the road? A little more of a traditionalist, but I do love the all blue, uh, the all blue with the orange helmet look for the big, the big game blues, as they call them. Um, so I would probably say that's my favorite, um, uh, but I do love the traditional orange hat, blue Jersey, white pants look. Okay. So you're not really a fan of wearing the orange jerseys? Not as much. They are growing on me though. They are starting to grow on me a little bit more. Uh, and clearly the, uh, the, the newer players seem to love them. So they're growing on me over time, but I, I definitely, uh, love to go back to the more traditional roots. They're, they're good for, you know, one game a year, maybe, um, maybe a Kentucky or maybe, for example, like if we played Boise State in a one-off game or something like that, maybe you could sort of assert your, your orange there, um, although they have orange too, maybe a UCLA or something, something like that. But yeah, I, I agree that they're, they're not really 
meant for consistent usage. Um, so the Mr. Tubits opportunity, that's, that's your Twitter name at Mr. Chris Bits on Twitter. Tell us more about that. How, first of all, how that comes to be that, that they're selecting a student for that and how you won and what it was like to lead the chant that, you know, Percy Harvin, Danny Werfel, Alex Brown, so many other Gator greats have gotten the lead. Yeah, no, it was an, it was an honor and a privilege to be able to do that while I was in school. So, um, when I was in school at the University of Florida, I think around my senior year, they uh, opened. They they had just started the honorary tradition. I think the year before that. So the next year, they opened it up to a student to do it for one game a year, and there was always an audition, basically a video submission. So, um, I. 2015, I went for it. I was a finalist and I came very, very close to winning. I lost by like, I think maybe 10, 20 votes. It was close out of like 10,000 votes. It was a, a very competitive contest. Um, but, you know, discouraged for a moment, came back the next year even stronger, made an even better video uh, and was selected amongst a committee of people um, in the athletic department. So I got to lead the cheer. Um, and it was great because I actually had. Um, all my, you know, family that attended the University of Florida who had been going to games for, for generations. I remember the original Mr. Tubitz as he was getting started out, get to watch uh, me leave the cheer. So it was really, really cool. Definitely a moment that I'll never forget. Um, and uh, probably outside of seeing us win a national championship, maybe my favorite moment as a Gator. Well, that, that's great that you're on our team now because you have an almost psychic ability to detect the next question because that was it. What was your favorite moment as a Gator fan, not including the Mr. Tubitz opportunity? Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I would say it was – I mean, I was not quite old enough to remember uh, 96. I do. My first game was the 96 season. It was the homecoming game where we beat LSU that year. Um so just kind of growing up, I think, in the 90s, remembering the Steve Spur years and, and uh, just the dominance, the absolute dominance that that was um, during that time period. You know, just we didn't lose a lot of games back then. So I would say just kind of growing up in the Steve Spur years was probably my favorite time as a Florida Gator um, and definitely influenced the side of my fandom going forward. You were young for the 96 season. Uh, four years, four years old. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You're two years older than me. That's right. I was, I was two years and 10 months old when we smacked FSU around in NOLA. And there's a video of like the two year old and 10 month me running around doing, I guess what, what passes for a gator chomp limbs, <laughs> limbs weren't quite coordinated enough to make it look legitimate, but it was the idea. Everyone in the room got it. Um, but yeah, that, that was certainly a special time um, for the Florida Gators. We're definitely looking to build more of those special times for the Gators moving forward. That's the great thing about the University of Florida. We don't just look back. We say, oh, yeah, that was great, but that we're looking forward to replicate those times too. So that's, I mean, that's the buzz right now because that's what recruiting is. You're loading up your roster to attempt to build more memories like that. So Florida Gators, Friday Night Lights last week, a slew of commitments, four in total. There are rumored to be more guys who are – Close to committing. We'll get into that in a bit. Chris, um, as University of Florida alum, I know you have experienced, I mean, the swamp in both good times and bad. I know that you understand the electricity that goes into that. Let's start with, with this question. As it pertains to recruits and their desire, their willingness, um, and I guess to a degree, their levels of excitement about playing for the Florida Gators how much of the atmosphere of the swamp 
do you think is currently a a pull or a, a talking point for the coaches versus just them building relationships with the coaches and the players? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, it's no secret. I, I think uh, even during the you know the downtimes um, of the last ten years or so post Urban Meyer era, I mean, the swamp is still a swamp, and there's been some moments. Um, you know, where it's been the best atmosphere in college football. And I think we can think of many moments in games where that was the case. You know, you look, think back to the Auburn game, 2019, LSU 2018, uh, Ole Miss 2015. Um, heck, I'd even go back to 2011 Alabama. I mean, you know, the, the, there's just some great – it's a great atmosphere. Um, and I, it, there's, it's a pull for any player to want to play in a place like that. Um, and every visitor that's come through that building over the last couple of years, regardless of if they committed or not, came away saying it's an electric atmosphere. So definitely, I think it's a pull. Um, you know, I think I, now as recruiting has started to shift and change and the motivations have changed, and I'm sure we'll talk about those. Um, it may not be the only thing, and it may not be as big of a factor as it used to be, but it's still, I think, a factor. Sure. Um, well, I mean, it certainly was for one recruit we're going to talk about in a little bit. Now, formerly in Ohio State, commit nickname of Mustard, Dijon Johnson. There are photos, there are videos of him. There are firsthand eyewitness accounts of him just looking up at the swamp lights, just taking in the atmosphere, soaking it all in. Got to think that that plays a role in things today. But let's start with the commits that we have gotten over the last couple of weeks. There are four of them. Uh, I mean, that there were – God, there are eight of them in the month of July. Um, but the first one we got in this most recent batch, Jakeem Jackson, four-star cornerback. Um, by the way, when I say four-star, that's a not, not exactly the same formula as the 247 composite. I'm just looking at the four major ranking sites. It's ESPN, Rivals, On3, 247. If three of them or more give the kid a certain star ranking, that's what I use. Um, so consensus four-star commit in Jakeem Jackson committing to Florida. What about him is particularly impressive to you? And what do you think he brings to the Gators? I think this is a guy that was just made to be coached by Corey Raymond. Uh, you know, you, you think back to some of the players that Corey Raymond has coached uh, over the years, that, you know, those long rangy corners, uh, very physical. And Jakeem Jackson checks all his boxes. When you look at his film, um, when you read some of the evaluations and the scouting reports that all these sites have said, um, you know, he is that he is that DB and Corey Raymond identified him before he was even a four star. Um, this was a great evaluation by the staff, and primarily Coach Raymond. He was a three star, not really uh, coveted. And actually, there was an article, I think, today on on three that kind of covered his rise um, and how he's now become a consensus four star. And he's probably not done rising in the rankings um, as other um, platforms catch up to his ranking. But no, I think he. I think he's a, a great player. And when it's all said and done, I mean, you know, this is going to be a great defensive back class because uh, he's in it. And I and I definitely see him as a major contributor um, early on in his career because I think he has all the, the traits and the skill sets that uh, Coach Raymond, you know, has looked for in his defensive backs over the years. I'm I'm a little I'm slightly less high on on his ability to play immediately. I think that he's a little raw, but the traits are undeniable. I mean, he's fast. He looks like he enjoys the act of tackling, which mm -hmm. yeah. not, not every corner does. Um, he's, he's good enough in, in bump and run and, and press coverage. I think for a high school kid, I, I think he might want to work on that a little bit before he gets put on the stage that 
you know, we saw Jason Marshall and Kyrie Elamon last year in live ball situations against SEC opponents. But I mean, he's everyone who has written some kind of evaluation on him, ranging from a simple tweet to I think it was Andrew Ivins on 247's page when uh, when when he got adjusted up to a four star, he gave his evaluation of him. They all say that he's very quick to learn the the micro details of, of playing corner. So when he gets coached or taught something, he'll pick it up and he'll add it to what he does. And that makes him better, obviously. So I think he might need some time at Florida to maybe adjust to the SEC speed. But by the time he's certainly by the time he's a junior, I'm going to guess by the time he's a sophomore, he'll be starting for the Gators. This kid is very, very talented and he's not done growing, um, but he's fast, he's strong, he's he's smart, and he's coachable. So I think that that those three things make him someone that you know Florida has to look at and say, yeah, this kid's going to see playing time in meaningful spots for us. Um, so that's one. Number two, by the way, they're all four stars. They're all of consensus mm-hmm. four star caliber. So hashtag blue chip Billy. Number two is Aiden Mizell, a wide receiver that had a lot of buzz early in his recruitment process to other schools like Alabama and Georgia that that kind of died in in more recent months and smoke started coming out about him liking Florida sure enough he winds up committing to the Gators on July 29th so what do you make of him and uh yeah same question what do you make of him and what how do you see him contributing to the Florida Gators he's a headliner of the class now he's the top ranked recruit uh he probably is another recruit that I could see continuing to rise up and be on that very, very high-end four-star ranking. Uh, his film is amazing. I mean, you just look at his film, it reminds me a lot of Devontae Smith. And I think that's kind of the shift we've seen now with this coaching staff is that they're recruiting receivers. Uh, the, the previous regime was more about getting those really tall, physical receivers. Um, this regime seems to be more focused on getting those um, more kind of lanky speedster receivers that you saw at Alabama that Billy Napier coached while he was there on Nick Saban's staff. So, and I think that Ada Mizell is that perfect mold of that. Um, he's fast, he's quick in space. He can take uh, you know, a screen pass and go 80 yards down the field. I mean, he's got that big playmaker ability. Um, you know, it's, and it's also not a secret that receivers probably outside of defensive line, the biggest need um, may be on this team right now. And I, I could see him easily contributing in his first, second year um, just given his skill set, his speed, his ability to make plays in space, um, we need a guy like that um, that can come in and contribute early because we're going to be losing guys um, like Justin Shorter after this season. You know, we're going to be eventually losing guys like Trent Whittemore. Uh, so we're going to need guys in, in just to increase the overall talent pool in the receiver room. And I think he just fits that bill. And then I also love the fact that you know, he is a legacy. There's a couple of legacies being recruited by this staff right now. And I think that's great that we're putting some focus on that. So, you know, just, I, I, you know, every, that commitment video, that commit great with the Gators coming out. He got TMZ's attention. So I think this kid's got it. I think he's got it. I think he's going to fit right in with the program and the culture that the staff is building. And I do think he is a potential, given the need at receiver uh, and, his, and, you know, I think he's just a very, very talented player. I do think he could contribute as a freshman couple things that, that just cannot be ignored. Number one, you mentioned his ability to play early. Funny enough, that is his nickname, Early Myself. <laughs> that, at least on Twitter it is. Um, number two, th- that, that commitment was an all-time gem. That was, that was just 
brilliant. Oh, I forgot my hats. Yo, how'd you forget yes. the hats? And he gets up and walks away and acts angry. A little bit of like Broadway uh, flair in him there. Just act legitimately upset. He, he got me because even I was I was watching it. I was on vacation and I was watch, just watching it while I was at the beach. And I was like, oh my God, like how the heck do you forget like your hats at the yeah. biggest moment? And then and it was, it was all play. So elite, elite head fake on that one. Yeah, elite, 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 elite head fake. And then coming back with those two, I think they were Caymans technically, but close enough for my, close enough for me. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the kid's fast. Like that's that's the start of every, I think, respectable analysis of him. The kid can fly. Um, took a couple of notes on him that I'm going to read off. He has been clocked at 10.65 in the 100-meter dash. Uh, that's meters, not yards. There's – I think meters are 39 inches or yards are 36. Mm-hmm. So that's that's more than 100 yards. And 10.65 seconds, um, track star, of course. That's how he is, is so fast. Um, and his parents were track stars at UF, so it's definitely in the pedigree. For sure. Exactly, yes. So uh, 10.65 and 100 meter dash, 46.99 seconds in the 400 meter dash. I mean, again, that's – I mean, Chris, uh, see, this is where I miss Dustin because he's the engineer. He's the literal rocket <laughs> scientist that would tell me exactly how many yards that is. But that's – it's more than 400 – it's more than 100 yards, and whatever that distance is, multiply that by four. He runs that in under 47 seconds. So that's mm-hmm. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, he's fast, but he's also – I remember the days of, of when Jeff Demps was here and the announcers and, and the color commentators would say, this is not – a track guy trying to play football. This is a football player who's also really, really fast and also happens to run track. That's how I would describe Mizell, except as a receiver, obviously not a running back. But this kid is super fast with the skills you want in a wide receiver. He's got a nice catch radius. He can go up and get the ball in traffic. There's at least two plays on his huddle film where he just takes the ball away from a receiver or from from a defender. Um, and, And he's got these, really quick feet as opposed to just the straight line speed. So he's got that root running ability. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I am yeah. absolutely ecstatic that Florida got this kid. The one area of his game, I think he's going to have to improve on is his blocking. Sure. I think if there's one weakness and, and, that, and that's, that's pretty common for a lot of uh, receivers coming out of high school, but at the college level, and especially in this offense, you're going to be required to block on the outside. So that's something I think the coaching staff is going to have to work with him on. But I mean, like we said, I think all the other skill sets are there. And, and I think he, if depending on how the room shakes out over the next year, I think he's going to have an ability to make an impact. Um, and I'm not sure. And, I, and it really hasn't been said a whole lot about any of the commits we've gotten, who's going to potentially early enroll. But, I mean, this would be a guy, if you could get him in early, um, it, it definitely could work out. He's a smart kid, too. The football yeah. IQ is there. Yep. And, I mean, and, and going off your blocking point, he's got to get a little bit bigger, too. I mean, part of that's technique yep. and knowing where he's to play games. Yeah, but, I mean, again, I mean, there, there's no reason not to trust Mark Hockey. He's done nothing yep. to, to dissuade me from thinking that he can get that done. So, yep. um, I mean, again, like, like pretty much every high school kid, I mean, even – even Jason Marshall had to come in and work on some stuff. Um, he wasn't day one, you know, SEC, all SEC level. But I have very, very high confidence that he will be a kid that Florida will utilize in a lot of different fashions, not the least of which is, and I can't wait to see this in actuality as opposed to just saying it, but taking the top off of defense because that's something Florida <laughs> has not had a ton of um, in recent years. So yeah. that's number two. Number three. Jordan Castell, a safety that 
committed on Saturday morning after FNL. I mean, do we, do we want to say that this was a, an FNL commit or do we want to just call this a plain old commit? Because, um, we, you know, I mean, he moved his commitment up. Um, he was originally going to commit, um, unfortunately, on the day of his father's passing from last year. Um, he still found a way to make a great tribute to him in his commitment. But yeah, no, I think he, he committed at FNL. It's an FNL commitment. Um, it was it was an inevitable, I think, commitment. He was probably the the uh, the it was the worst kept secret maybe in the recruiting world that this guy was going to be a Florida Gator. Uh, he had already been wearing this stuff and tweeting it all out for for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it would have been the greatest upset in the world if he hadn't picked Florida. Uh, but no, I, I when you watch his film, super physical guy. I mean, he just runs downhill um loves contact and that's and that's kind of a theme i'm sensing with this staff is there you cannot play any position on the defensive field even at the defensive back position if you are not willing to be very physical and come down and make tackles and that is something that this staff is emphasizing um when i actually listened to the media day press conference uh, this afternoon and one of the things that all the coaches always say that they describe that billy napier team as is physical so Jordan Castell fits that mold. And I do think he's probably of the four we're going to talk about. I kind of see him as the most developmental player. That's going to need a little more time. Safety is a tough position to play in the college game. Um, you know, we saw even guys like Marcus May, who's one of the better safeties in school history, have to go through growing pains. I think this is a guy that's going to need some development. And fortunately, there seems to be some depth already in place of safety that he can wait his turn. So I, I do like him long-term as a 2-3, uh, you know, that contributor in that second, third year. Um, but, you know, great size, you know, great body. Or, you know, he, I don't think he's going to need a whole lot of time in the weight room. I just think he's going to need to learn the, the college game, the end of playing safety at the SEC level. But it's a great get. And um, he's, I think, depending on the outlet you look at, is a top 10 player at his position overall. So we need more guys like that that are top 10 at their level. Um, we've already gotten, you know, Aiden Mizell is creeping up into that territory. Um, Tran Webb is another guy that would be in there. And then this guy for safety. So good get. I, I'm, I'm really excited that we finally got him in the class. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I know you didn't just compare him to Marcus May, but I, I actually like the comparison more than I thought I would when I first heard that name. He's he's a little bit lengthier than May coming out of high school. Yeah. Um, May, May had to grow into his body a little bit just more. Just comparing the time it took him to develop into the sure, player sure. he became. Because it took him a while to adjust to the college. I mean, I still remember when the guy got burned deep in the Miami game in 2013, and it was like, well, that's that's your growing pains of being a safety at that level. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but he ended up becoming, you know, an all-SEC player. So yeah. I think that, you know, it just takes time to learn the position. He had a nice freshman season too. It had growing pains in it, but he definitely did some things that I would think, uh, you know, that I, I thought at the time were going to be signs of what was to come from him. And it turned out sure. to be true. Um, yeah. He, he will need time. He will need time. I think that he's, I think that his versatility is a good thing. I mean, he's, he's got some experience at corner in high school, mostly played, he, he definitely projects best as a safety, but yeah, I think he's quick and agile enough to play corner and he's physical enough to play corner if he, if he really has to. And Florida winds up with a much deeper safety room than cornerback room. Um, he's going to have to grow into his frame a little bit more, but he is a good tackler. He's physical enough that – like I don't love the idea from a defensive perspective. I love it from an offensive perspective, but from a defensive perspective, the idea of – like football as a whole going to a place where the tight end is, is a natural weapon as opposed to 
He's a blocker. And if he can catch balls, that's just an added bonus. Like Kyle Pitts is, I think, going to start becoming more and more of a norm. Uh, defenses don't like that. But I think that for the infant stages that that this that the game is in with the offense um, using the tight end as a weapon, I think he is probably as well-equipped to be that tight end cover guy as you can realistically hope for. He'll have to develop a little bit uh, as, as a cover corner if he winds up being there. He is, I think, going to wind up being a safety for Florida, but I'm interested to see what happens when he comes in, puts some time in the weight room, goes through a spring practice or summer practice even, and seeing what Florida does with him because the speed, the physicality, the willingness to, to get his hands dirty and, and you know dive if he has to, I think that's going to be – I think that's going to make him very, very difficult to keep off the field. So definitely a good, a good pickup for Florida. Someone I can definitely envision seeing on the field no later than his junior year, probably um, at some point as a sophomore. So that's three. We've got number four of the long weekends in Andy Jean. And this was a very nice little sort of stick your tongue out and, flip the birdie off to Miami because they were so certain that they had him in their clutches as I think it was Josh Pate that said that, and that didn't wind up happening. So we'll, we'll talk about Florida versus Miami on the trail in a couple minutes, but let's just talk about Gene as a, as a prospect first. What do you like about him and how do you see him contributing to the Gators as part of a wide receiver class that's already stockpiled with talent? He's an impressive route runner. That was the first thing that jumps out on film. He's probably the best route runner um, in this class, uh, overall, like of all receiver recruits out there, I think he's one of the best route runners. I love that he plays uh, high school football down in Miami, so he's playing against the best competition week in and week out. He's playing against guys that are going to be playing in the SEC or at the high Power Five level. He's a ten eight speed for the hundred meter dash, so just a little bit under what Ada Mizellis with speeds there too. He's point two off. Um, so we've recruited now two receivers uh, in the same class that have comparable speed um and now also a guy that is just very fluid in his route running so i think he's a guy too that has an ability to potentially contribute somewhat early may need a little more time to develop than maybe myzel uh but i i I think he's a guy that i could definitely see on the field wouldn't be shocked if he played early um but no later than sophomore year and like you said it's it, it was just more of a statement if anything to get one over Miami, go down their territory, get a kid and convince them to just shut their recruitment down. Because I think a lot of fans were getting frustrated in recruiting that they knew the staff was working hard. And this staff is the hardest working staff we've had, I think, since the Urban Meyer days, getting guys on campus multiple times and big name players. But the frustration, I think, has been the the, the closing of the recruitments. And this is a sign that this staff can't close. And he and they convinced him not to go on a visit down to Miami and just to shut the recruitment down at, for, at Friday Night Lights. So huge, huge, huge win. The receiver room, I think at this point, is pretty much complete with his commitment, other than maybe if uh, Duquavi Sori ends up joining the class this month. So, you know, it's, it's a great ad. It's a great ad. And I think, he, I think he contributes relatively quickly in his career. Yeah, for sure. I agree with pretty much all of that. I will say the one thing that really impresses me when I, when I watched his tape, I thought, okay, this is a really good receiver. He's not, he doesn't look 
stupendous, but he looks very, very good. And then I start seeing the logos on the helmets of the teams he's playing. He's going up against IMG, against Booker T. Washington, against Carroll City. He's going up, like you said, against the elite of the elite high school talent. And he is more than holding his own, looking very, very good against them. Route running, you touched on, excellent. Um, I think, actually, he, he can still get even better at it because his feet are so naturally quick. Um, could maybe get a little bit crisper at that, but very, very good for sure as it stands right now. Nice catch radius. He could grow a little bit more. Again, we're talking about juniors in high school. They all could. Um, so kind of a boilerplate comment there. But I like the, I like the potential. I think he's definitely someone that – could grow a little bit more, but when he does, I think he, you know, he adds that extra element of physicality. I think he's going to be someone that the Gators are going to wind up relying on in the big games against Georgia and Alabama. We're going to be talking about, you know, him and Eugene Wilson, the second and Aiden Mizell as, and possibly sorry, um, as, as guys that, yeah. Creed Whittemore too. Huh? Creed Whittemore too. I think. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I mean, these are guys we're all going to be talking about as, yeah, we can use these pieces and and feel good about our chances in using these pieces against the Georgias and Alabamas. And if we get there, you know, Ohio State and Oklahoma and Clemson in the playoff, hopefully one day. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, the idea of getting him to just shut down his recruitment early, as you mentioned, obviously huge. I do wonder a little bit if – there is the potential for a flip if Miami really keeps the pressure up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it, but I don't know if this commitment is necessarily over if Miami keeps at him hard. What do you think? I think, that, I think the staff is going to have to work for a couple of guys. I mean, we saw Shreve Denson get an Alabama offer. That sounded like it was a big offer for him. I, I'm not as concerned about, you know, flips. I mean, even to – I'll get, you know – Dan Mullen was not fantastic at recruiting at Florida, but to his credit, he did hold a lot of commitments. Um, and, and and I think the logo here just, you know, anytime you do get a commitment to University of Florida, history shows more often than not we're able to hold a guy. And I think that this staff, just given the fact that they are putting so much legwork in and not just making the player uh, feel welcome and, and talk about what they want, but they're also recruiting the family probably better than any staff I've seen in recent history. So all those combined, I do think that, as long as we keep getting these guys on campus like an Andy Jean, like Sharif Denson, or anybody else is being going to be recruited after a commitment, I, I don't see uh, – I, I give it a very low probability that we see flips with this staff just moving forward. Um, and certainly in the NIL era, that could, that could be different. But I think that this staff is going to be very good at once you get them committed, that they're going to be remain in the class and, and up signing on signing day. I think that's a fair statement. I, just, I think that whatever low probability there is of a flip might be slightly increased just because he is from Miami, because I know that he mm-hmm. did like the staff. I know he does have relationships with a couple of the players there. We're still probably talking about single digits out of 100 in terms of percent chances. So I wouldn't worry too much, but I do think, like you said, Florida has to definitely keep the contact up. Um, I mean – I, I'm by no means comparing Florida to FSU, but we saw uh, the the comments from Desmond Ricks not that long ago. Yeah, they just stopped contacting me. So, yeah, I, I don't even know if that's true or not. But I mean, there have been, as we know, that look. Yeah, and 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 there have been, to be fair, there have been commits um, to to decommit over the years because they didn't feel like they were wanted enough. So I think Florida's gonna have to keep up the pressure a little bit more so on him than they will with other committed guys like Denson being a UF legacy, as you said, um, Ada Mizell, I think they can, 
you know, maybe afford a little bit less pressure on, but I would, I would think it is significantly more likely that he, he stays and flips as is usually the case when you are verbally committed. So mm-hmm. that gives Florida a class with 16 committed kids right now. We're talking about a class that I believe this year still can go to 32, right? Until that yes. rule drops yeah. next year. Correct. Yeah. So this would be the year to sign a big class if you want to. And, and I, and I actually, I think if they have the ability to do it, I think they will. Because I think as we saw that this staff has been very aggressive at flipping the roster. Um, and in order to get a culture instilled quickly, you have to kind of do that and get your guys in there. So I do think it would not be shocked if this class somehow got near that 30 number, um, whether that is via high school or transfers. Uh, so I, I do anticipate a really big class, especially because last year in the transition class, we didn't bring as many guys in. Um, given that it was a transition class and he did kind of blow the class up and, and try to get the guys that he truly wanted in. But no, I, I think that this is a class that is, it may not even be, ha- uh, it's probably a little bit more than halfway full now, but may not be two thirds full. So I think, I think we've got a way to go. At 16. Yeah. Well, I mean, it can't get more than twice as full as it is now. It cannot go beyond 32. Yeah. Um, this is the last year of it. It was, it was last year and this year, I think that they, that they allow that. So yeah, I do anticipate Florida going a bit over uh, the 20, the normal 25 limit. I think they got 28 last year. So I could definitely see them with the trend. Was that with the transfers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, but nonetheless, Florida's class we can assume is approximately halfway done, which is a great sign because the momentum that, that they built so far combined with the quality of the kids that they've got committed so far both very, 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 very high. So let's take a step back and start looking at what we think the class might look like in its final form. And this is something that shout out to Dustin. He, he got me into because I, I was not a fan of, of mocking up classes without, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the kids committed already. So he, he, he convinced me though. So, um, yeah, so who do, who do you anticipate joining the class next, and who do you think are the biggest targets out there for Florida to still go after? So I did I did mock up, I think, a class um, earlier this week. Um, a guy that I, I, I that is kind of emerging and we've been surging for now is Kelby Collins, and I think he's come out and said that he's going to have a commitment date. He canceled his Alabama visit and stayed the entire weekend at Friday Night Lights and the barbecue. I think it's huge. And he's, he's been speaking very highly of the staff throughout the summer, even at that official visit. So I think that's a guy we end up winning this battle for. It just kind of reminds me of the Scooby Williams recruitment a little bit, a guy that everybody starts like, oh, he's from Alabama. He's going to go to Auburn or Alabama. Um, and this is, this is clearly a two-horse race, I think, at this point between us and Alabama. I think we went out on this one. I really do. Um, and I think we've got some momentum on the trail now, and I think we're going to capitalize on it and get him in the class. He sees an ability to come in and play early, and I think that's going to be the case with a lot of defensive linemen still left on the board. Um, so he's one guy I would pencil in. Will Norman is another guy. Uh, you know, I know that there was uh, some murmurs that he might take his recruitment to early signing day. Um, but then Corey Bender from on three reported this afternoon that it seems like that might not be the case. And he wouldn't be shocked if he ended it sooner rather than later. And if that's the case, he'd be a Gator. So I think right now the constant and his recruitment has been Florida and that has not changed. I anticipate him in the class. 
I do think that they will continue to recruit the Osceola kids. I'm not so sure they'll have as much luck to flip them. I think that's going to be difficult, but I do think they're going to stay on them. I think the staff is going to be um, is going to try to take as many defensive linemen as possible. So, in addition to Collins and um, who's the other guy I just mentioned, uh, Will Norman, I could see a kind of a thing like um, a guy like. Uh, Sorry, McLeod. Uh, I know South Carolina has been recruiting him. He visited, um, and also McDonald, um, or another two guys. It, it looks like uh, Jordan Hall, unfortunately, is trending heavily to Georgia now. That was the guy that I would love to have seen in the class, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I think that we get a combination of um, – we get Kelby Collins as well as Will Norman and then a combination of the, the other two that I mentioned. And that would round out, I think, about five or six in the defensive line class, which is what we really need. We need to take as many defensive linemen as possible. Um, then linebacker. I think we're. I think that Jaden Robinson um, likely flips from South Carolina. I know that he kind of quietly visited over the weekend, and you don't normally quietly visit a school like that if you're not thinking of doing it. I think we offered late, and he was ready to commit, and, and he followed through with it. But I think he, being a Lake City kid, that is a, a recruitment I think we can we could take advantage of. Um, and then the big, the big one there, um, left in the class, the headliner that everybody wants is Cormani McLean. You know, that's going to, that's a 50, 50 battle at this point between us and Alabama. I, I think with Corey Raymond, I'm going to give us the edge. I think that a guy like him is from Florida. We have good relationship with the family. I think we find a way to win that recruitment. Um, the staff seems to be finally fi- finding its way on the trail. He's a guy that I think we definitely, um, get in there. So those are the big ones that I see adding. And I know I'm probably missing a bunch of names. We kind of keep talking about them and maybe you'll even mention them. But those are the ones that I see getting in the class. I would love to see us maybe hopefully flip a guy like a a Pup Howard. I think that I think that's a recruitment. We're going to continue to kick the tires on. Like I also mentioned, Derek LeBron, um, John Walker. Uh, We've already flipped one UCF kid this cycle. I don't see why we can't, you know, couldn't do it again. I think we're going to continue to recruit guys like Lucas Simmons and Roderick Kearney from Florida State, especially if they end up having a, a subpar season again with Mike Norvell. I think that's a recruitment that we could, you know, that we could capitalize on. I know we recently put out some offers to some uh, some new offensive linemen. Caden Jones is a name on offensive line that I think that we could potentially get. Uh, he's a high three-star, low four-star guy, depending on what outlet you look at. He's somebody that I see in the class because I think we need to at least take two more line offensive linemen. Um, to round out to get a solid four there. So those are those are the names that kind of just come to mind. When I did a mock earlier, um, I saw I was able to get us to around the low two eighties, high two seventies, um, which would put us in that eight to ten range historically speaking on two four seven. The average being really really close to ninety two, um, which is the highest average we've had since the Will Muschamp era. So I think. Ultimately, my prediction for the class is that it ends up closer to the um, around that Will Muschamp era recruitment class. It's in that high 91 to 92 range uh, for average player ranking. I think we end up 8 to 10, fourth or fifth in the SEC, depending on where we line up with LSU and, and Tennessee. So it, it'll be a solid bump class, probably not the historical bump class that eventual champions in the SEC um, get, but do think it trends in the right direction. And I think it's a, it's a class that Billy Napier can build a strong foundation on and certainly an upgrade in past recruiting cycles um, that we've seen. This will probably be the, I think this is my prediction. Ultimately is this is the best recruiting class we've had um, since 2013. 
probably the last really good yeah. recruiting class that we had. That I mean that, that thirteen class was was pretty loaded. Um, and got, played got, on the defensive side of the ball, though. Yeah, a lot, a lot of Will gotta, classes were. This is a balanced class. It, it's shaping sure. up to be a pretty balanced class, which is nice to see. I mean, Muschamp can certainly recruit defense, um, and and mm-hmm. he he would get us every now and then. He would get us a stray, you know, elite offensive player. He did recruit Will Greer. That didn't turn out well, but that wasn't his fault. Um, DJ he recruited Marcus Robinson, DJ Humphreys, uh, mm-hmm. Kelvin Taylor was a perfectly fine college running back. So you know, he did he did do his uh, his job to a very small degree there. But yeah, one Derrick Henry though, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, he's supposed to be a um, linebacker at University of Florida. <laughs> that that will always that will always befuddle me how he yeah, thought Henry. No doubt, here, but, no doubt. Um, yeah. So anyway, the class for Florida in twenty two, Cormani McLean obviously is the white whale. That he is the Moby Dick that we're all. I mean, Florida, Miami, Alabama are all after him. I think that Florida and Alabama have a bit of an edge over Miami. I think that the Gators have a slight edge, as you said, because. Uh, well, first of all, the Lakeland pipeline to Florida, excluding, of course, um, Demarcus Bowman. But aside from him, it has been very, very good to us with mm-hmm. Rainey, the Pounceys, Ahmad Black, who, by the way, is a coach there now. Um, and he's coaching the defensive backs there. So, you know, we'll we'll see. But that's got to be priority uh, number one for Florida, especially because, I mean, they have an elite defensive backs class already, but you know, got to – Got to keep that tradition of DBU going. So, what better way to do that than than from one of our our he high would, school friends? He would probably be the only five star commitment in the class, unless Mizell might rise to a five. Right, yeah, or you know, like a Cameron James, uh, who was a guy I didn't mention, but I think ends up in the class yeah. as well. Um, who's now the twenty third overall guy on on three on their ranking system, not the consensus. Yeah. But like, if something like that, a guy like him continues to rise. I mean, that's the only way I see us getting the two to three five stars that traditional bump classes get is if we get guys to rise and then pair him with a Cormani McLean. Yeah. So I mean, Cameron James is a Florida Georgia battle, at least as of right now. It seems um, it's another guy you mentioned. Jordan Hall, another defensive lineman that I think is a Florida-Georgia battle. Unfortunately, I, I would not give Florida the edge on either one. I do, though, think that – James, they, too? You think you think James is leaning Georgia? I think he's leaning Georgia right now. I think we need to see how the season plays out, obviously, because, I mean, this 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 is my, like, catchphrase with, with recruiting. Uh, there is no sales pitch as effective as winning. So mm-hmm. if Florida goes – Hell, Florida even goes nine and three this year. Forget national championships. Then Napier can go into his living room and go, Cameron, see what we're building. We got yeah. from six and seven to nine and three. We need to get those last couple of steps up to the top, though. Would you like to be a part of it? Maybe that yeah. helps change his mind. But I, I think right now he's he's leaning Georgia. I do think it is a very slight lean towards Georgia, probably either 55, 45, or maybe at most 60, 40 Georgia. He did have some smoke to Florida uh, a few months ago. I think he had two or three different crystal balls come in back in the spring. I know, though, that he got an offer from Georgia that he had been coveting for a while, and then he took a visit to Georgia towards the end of June that he really enjoyed. So I I think in part because they're the last impression that he's gotten. He visited them more recently than Florida, so I think that's a little bit fresher in his mind. Um, definitely would not be stunned if he came to Florida, but I think that Georgia has the slight lead right now. And obviously, as I said before, we have to see how the season plays out before making more definitive judgments on that. 
But, yeah, so we've got those two on the defensive line. I do think, like you said, Florida is not done putting the pressure on Derek LeBlanc, committed to Oklahoma, John Walker, committed to Central Florida. I refuse to call them the three-letter version of their name because that makes them happy, and I have no intention of doing that. But I think that Florida has a legitimate shot to get one of them. Uh, I don't know which one right now. I think it'll depend on how the new coach at Oklahoma in Brett Venables does with yeah. his actual season as opposed to you know, recruiting in the offseason. I think if they have a good season, I think maybe he stays. Uh, maybe if Central Florida has a good season with Malzahn, if they can build from 9-4 and four to go maybe 11-2 and two or something, I think that's kind of out of the question. I don't think both of those things happen, though. I think that that's asking yeah. a lot out of both schools. I would think Florida has a legitimate shot to get one. Um, the, the, the position that concerns me right now is the offensive line because Florida's got Bryce Lovett, who's, I mean, decent. I don't think offensive line. Yeah. And I mean, offensive linemen also aren't really given super high ratings unless they're just absolute can't miss guys like Michael Orr or, you know, DJ Humphreys, I think was a five-star, but I mean, love, love it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with him. I like the addition of Harris from IMG. But yep. they need more than two guys. They need at least two more. I mean, really, with the extended class now, I would think that Florida should get at least three more. But at a, at a bare minimum, two. I don't think Florida's done with Lucas Simmons. I, I wasn't initially high on our chances to get Monroe Freeling, but I don't know now. He's he's from – fun fact. you got to see how the visits go in the fall to kind of get yes. a gauge on where he's at. I mean, I think that recruitment can go in a number of different directions. Sure. Fun fact, he's from about uh, two and a half, three miles away from my company's office in oh, nice. Pleasant, South Carolina. So, nice. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think Florida is going to put the pressure on him. Um, yeah, Will Norman, as you said, I, I think that's one that Florida might be leading for. I think the, the quicker he makes his decision, the better. Again, mm-hmm. there's no sales pitch like winning, so Florida has a good season that might – reduce the effectiveness of that the sooner he commits a better statement but nonetheless i think that that's someone florida could definitely add um looking down the list of guys on florida's board um i don't i don't know what to make of a guy like xavion hardy i don't really i don't, I don't no. think he's i think he's i think we're not gonna that recruitment is ended he's uh from my understanding academics are a major concern and the staff unlike the last staff is not going to take a risk on a player not making it into campus which i appreciate because we don't yeah, we can't do that anymore you know it really burned us when you'd get those like we never really had a true top 10 class with dan mullen because those two top 10 classes fell apart either they're not make, making it to campus or they transferred so i think the staff is going to be very disciplined in who they take the ghosts of Chris Steele still haunt us today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that makes sense about, about Hardy. Um, I, I know that, I know that he liked Florida. I know that when Florida met with him, they, they liked him, but <laughs> learning that doesn't really shock me. If academics weren't a concern, he'd be in the class. But I, I, I just think because of that, I, unfortunately we're going to have to pass. Okay. Well, that would actually make sense. Um, a guy yeah. like Samuel Mpemba, I think that's a, a bit of a reach for Florida. I think he's, I think he's leaning Georgia again. A great season for Florida could change that, but I, as of right now, I, I don't think it's especially likely. Um, Caden McDonald's um, mentioned. I think yeah, I think you mentioned him, right? I don't. 
I don't yeah. know. I don't know about him. Um, he got a Clemson. He got a Clemson crystal ball um, from Rusty Menzel. So, if like I mentioned the between um, him and McLeod, that's the one. That's the one that seems to be. Um, there's some South Carolina chatter that because he had been such a South Carolina lean for a long time. A lot of people on their message boards are now hearing chatter that he really loved that Florida visit and that we might be closing on that one kind of it might be a sleeper one like a tj searchy was yeah another guy who was looking at south carolina as well so florida's it's kind of interesting the recruiting battles we've had with south carolina this cycle um for some we of had the a crystal ball that comes a couple days ago too it wasn't that long ago katie mcdonald yeah it was like Friday, yeah i think yeah yeah but mcleod mcleod uh or McLeod, I don't know how to say his name, but he's, I think he's the one out of those two that is more likely now ends up in the Florida class. Yeah, I, I would think about that, that. That's probably true. Then there's a guy that you mentioned, Kelby Collins. I think that would be a massive pickup for Florida on the defensive line. I would be cautious of Alabama and Georgia making late charges on him, but I would also agree with you that I think he is most likely to be a Florida Gator. I think the last guy that we got to talk about is Dijon Johnson. Yeah. The kid, uh, Wharton, the kid that we talked about at the top of the show, talked about him looking all around the swamp like, I don't want to say like a deer in headlights, but like a kid, like a kid who's living his dream because that's, that's what it looked like. He looked like he was envisioning himself making plays in that environment, in that building. Um, you know, with, with 90,000 fans screaming his name, cheering for the Gators, doing the chomp, all dressed in orange blue. It looked like he was, he was picturing all that from the way he was kind of looking up at the lights. Um, what to make of him? I mean, he, the decommitment from Ohio State was great. I do wonder if there was a particular reason why he decommitted from Ohio State without immediately announcing his commitment to Florida. That could be mm-hmm. because he wanted someone to make a commitment video. That could be because he wanted you know, two moments. He wanted the moment of decommitting from Ohio State and a second moment of, de- of committing to Florida. Maybe he genuinely does want to hear from other schools like Miami. Mm-hmm. Maybe he does want to hold out for another offer that he doesn't have so far. But all signs do point for him coming to Florida. So yeah. that, if we don't get Cormani McLean, I think is is more than a serviceable backup plan. And besides, the Gators already have a slew of defensive backs already committed. So in summary, my takeaway from the class so far, I'm not going to mock it up right now. I just did that a couple weeks ago, and some of those guys are already committed elsewhere, so that doesn't really – I don't know. The last time I did it, it didn't really work out too well. So I'm going to put that on hold for a little bit. But in summary, what I'll say is I think that Florida as a, as a staff overall, obviously doing a great job reaching out to the elites and building relationships with them and their families. As Chris was saying earlier, I think Florida is also with the exception of the offensive line everywhere else. They've done a, a great job of planting enough seeds at each position that if they miss on a kid, they've got a backup plan right there. It's a real high floor, which is good to see. Is yeah. you're not you're not having to reach for a kid who probably shouldn't be even really getting a power five offer, which we've seen in the past. And I think we're we're making sure that we we establish a high floor. And I think you know it's worked out for us this cycle thus far. I mean, which is why we have a blue chip rating that we do. 14 out of 16 blue chips, so which is which is huge. 
I mean, just look at FSU. They're already having yeah. to do that. I mean, they they yeah. had their quarterback committed, but apparently, quote, he's being used here for this sentence, he was scared of competition, unquote. Well, that kid, Chris Parsons, decommits. He's now, I think, leaning towards Mississippi State. So, But it's okay <laughs> because they have Brock Glenn in the fold. Well, now he commits to Ohio State, and now they're in trouble. Yeah. So we don't have to look far to see what happens when you don't have that high floor, when you don't have those backup plans in place. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the one thing that I, I really do like um, what they're doing is they have put such a huge emphasis on recruiting and within a radius of Gainesville in the state of Florida. I mean, I think the statistic is that 14 out of 16 are within 350 miles of Gainesville. That's huge. And I, and what that's doing is that's building relationships with those high school coaches. That's building rapport with the players from that school. It, it's going to pay off, pay dividends later on because that, that building those relationships and having success stories for those kids coming into your program is going to yield whenever that five-star then eventually comes along, you know, from that school they're going to remember what how they treated his teammate who came up a couple of years before him. So I, I think that's really going to pay off. So we're, we're hitting all the areas that we haven't really hit really well in the past, places like Jacksonville, Tampa, uh, getting back into Orlando, you know, so. IMG. Is, IMG, yeah. Finally got some IMG guys. So it, it's it's paying off. And I think it, it's going to, long term, I think that this staff is going to be able to recruit at an elite level. It's just going to take some time. I think they're they're working out, you know, things with you know navigating the NIL world now that we live in, as well as you know just trying to figure. out. You have to remember the staff really hadn't been in the SEC a whole lot, so I think it's a little bit of an adjustment to get back to this kind of level of football. Um, but they've adjusted very very well, and they didn't let uh, you know when everybody would thought the world was ending when Jaden Rashada did not commit to us and committed to Miami. You know, within a week. We had that commitment of um, Stokes, Stokes and Trey and Webb, and the same within hours of each other. And, and I think Denson. they got the and Denson. It got the ball rolling again, and everybody was kind of like, "All right, things are okay. We can do this." So that's the thing about recruiting that I think, uh, if, if nothing else, to be taken away from any recruiting pod. That's the one thing: the highs are not as incredible as they seem, and the lows are not as terrible as they seem. It's always somewhere in the middle because i mean in theory i'm not saying this will happen but remember five julys ago where we have matt corral and jmr chase and jacob copeland all committed copeland wound up recommitting but all three of those guys wind up backing off their commitments so the highs are usually not as amazing as they seem but the lows are never as low as they seem and it we still do have months to go until it's time to sign the dotted line yeah, I, and I think this staff is capable of pulling kids that people don't see coming. Like I mentioned, like a Kelby Collins recruitment, getting a guy like Jaden Robinson to uh, visit in secret. Um, you know, Dejan, that, that's a recruitment that nobody saw coming. Um, so, it, you know, it definitely is, is – uh, they are capable of, of pulling a rabbit out of the hat, I think. And you never know. We'll see what happens um, – this year on Sunday, I would I can't wait for them to have a, a signing day where they've had a full year to recruit, and I, this is going to be that opportunity for them because what they were able to do in a finite amount of time, they deserve a lot of credit for last year and pulling some of the kids that they did, like a Shamar James, like a Kamari Wilson, who they would not have committed to Florida if they didn't come. Um, I think it's going to be really cool to see how they can close on signing day in December in a couple of months. 
Closing on signing day is something that I hope the staff doesn't have to do a ton of because I hope they have a lot of guys committed before that so they don't have to be waiting nervously yeah. to see if a kid commits there because if you miss on enough of them, then you have to scramble for five or six backup plans. But I think the way they're setting it up right now and they already have 16 committed, I think by the time middle of season rolls around, we're going to be over that 20-person fresh threshold. The guys that we're going to be trying to close on signing day are going to be like your Kermani McLean, who might take sure. his recruitment to signing day or even to the all-star game. I've, I've heard even that rumor out there. So sure. it's, it's, uh, those are, hopefully you've already got the bulk of your class, like you said, lined up, they're ready to sign many, hopefully early enroll. And then you're just trying to close on those five stars and really elite kids. The other thing, uh, I guess the last thing really I'm looking at is, I'm looking hard at how FSU does this season because they don't have a great mm -hmm. class, but they have a couple of guys I'd be very happy with. I'd be Atkins is a great them. recruiter. Thank God, yeah. they, for their sake, if they didn't have Atkins, they would have nobody in that class. Right. Uh, I mean that, and that's all they really have to hang their hats on. They don't have on-field results or overall recruiting numbers to talk trash about, but they can say, "Oh, our one offensive line guy beat your two. Well, that's great, but if you guys start out two and five or so does Florida maybe reach back out to a Lucas Simmons or a Roger Kearney? Uh, maybe the other side of the, of the trenches. maybe they go after Keith Sampson and they go after a Keldrick Falk, someone like that. They have, I think they have five guys who are of, of blue chip caliber. I'd, I'd love for Florida to get any of them because you're talking about the trenches where football games are mm -hmm. won and lost. That's where you know, it's the most important thing in football to control a line of scrimmage. They've got five guys of blue chip caliber, on that defensive line. And I think that that's the staff um, or yeah, that, that is the program that is the most uncertain right now. Mike Norvell mm -hmm. going three and six his first year, five and seven last year. They have another shaky year. The rumors start building about his job security there. Does that maybe sort of change some of their minds if a Florida or an Alabama or a Georgia reaches out to them? So yeah. we'll see. But I think FSU needs to get to seven wins this year in order to say okay we actually have some momentum we're turning the corner um but i don't know i don't know if they get there we'll see i don't even know if six and six does it for them uh it'd be their first bowl game in five years or whatever it was but they uh you know it's i don't i don't i just don't know how they're going to do it it'd be their they don't have the they haven't, they haven't recruited consistently enough to do it no, they haven't. It's, and it's been it's been systemic since the end of the Jimbo days. Taggart right. didn't do it, and Norvell really hasn't done it at all. Yeah. Period. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it would be great if Florida could just like use their class as almost a farm system worth of, of backup plans to reach out to because they do have to get more offensive linemen. And if if they can point to a kid and uh, you know with a with a current commitment to a school that has a very very shaky ground to stand on. Maybe that does change their mind. But Florida, I think the, the main takeaway is that Florida needs more offensive linemen. They, they absolutely have to get at least two, preferably three more guys on the offensive line. But aside from that, everything's looking pretty great right now. Yeah. It's looking up. I think, I, think um, I don't know, maybe you have a prediction on August. I, I could see us getting anywhere from two to four more commitments before kickoff in a month. I would mm, – um, I, I guess for I me, Kelby – Okay, yeah. I, I would say if Johnson commits, Kelby Collins, maybe uh, a Sori, those are three right there that I see could be joining the class this month. I'm just wondering if Sori looks at, at the Florida class and goes, like, there are four receivers already there. How would I, how would I play? 
Yeah, you know, I think he may not even be coming to play a receiver because I think that there's talk that he, you know, he is an athlete. He could play safety. I've even heard people say he could bulk up and play linebacker. Um, you know, he does have family on the staff. I think at this point, it's really the staff kind of waiting. He's waiting for the staff to give him a green light to commit, not the other way around. Um, Cause I think he would have already committed at this point. Um, yeah. I, I've, I, I've heard rumblings of that. I've heard rumblings that he actually is thinking Georgia for a little bit because of the, the family connection. He's a former Georgia commit. Yeah, and and well, that plus the fact that his cousin's there. I mean, guys decommitting and then recommitting back to the school from which they decommitted doesn't really happen every day, but it's also not altogether unheard of. I know he does still have nice feelings for them. I know he's obviously high on the fact that his cousin goes there. I know he likes Kirby, so... I would not count them out of it either. I I would think he would come to Florida um, knowing that he could play one of two or three positions. I think he would want to know where he was favored to play before he committed. I don't think he would want to come to Florida and have absolutely no idea where he's most likely to play. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But those would be the the three, four guys I think we mentioned there that – come one month from now when we kick off the season, could see in the class. And that right there would get us near the top 10, depending on how some of the other teams shake out and gain commitments. But we're right there. We're uh, we're top 12 right now, which is a good place to be, considering we were in the 40s um, a little over a month ago. So huge rise in the rankings. Eight commits in the last six weeks. Uh, we yeah. haven't gotten one this week, so we I guess we can say in a five-week span they had eight commits, all of which, by the way, blue-chip caliber. Um, yep. That is four or five star commits. Um, so if you look at the targets, the targets left on the board, they're all basically blue chip commit commit uh, players. Process, so yeah, yeah. yeah, so I mean, I think that the when the class shakes out, the the blue chip rating is going to be right around where it is now. It's pretty amazing when you think about yeah. it, because Florida hasn't had a ton of classes that are all four or five stars. Yeah, the one thing though, because um, there is, and the people have talked about this, there is a little bit of blue chip inflation happening right now where it, that number is creeping up what's considered a four-star on all the rankings. And and I think the objective way to look at it would be how many top 300 kids do you have in your class? I know that's something Will Miles has cited before in a lot of his recruiting analysis. Is, um, and right now we're near, I think, 60% on that. So that's good. And we'd like to see that number go up. And I think a lot of the guys we talked about tonight would fit that bill as a top 300 player. And you could even see some guys who are just on the outside of the top 300 get elevated to the top 300. So. There's there's definitely some opportunities to grow. Definitely opportunities to grow. As we, as I said, as I, I know you agree with, there's no real sales pitch as successful as winning games on the field. I think if Florida can show that, if they can even – I think even eight and four would, would be a positive site for recruits. I mean, because look at the schedule. I mean, Florida's got the two games that are – are likely losses, I think we can say, with A&M and Georgia. Uh, you, you have four more games that could – realistically go either way i think in in utah kentucky tennessee and lsu maybe put fsu in there in that sort of toss-up category but i mean regardless eight and four definitely seems like a strong possibility and that would include wins over multiple wins over programs that that beat us last year so we, we would be flipping those results and saying yeah you see south carolina is not really better than us that was just a fluke missouri's not really better than us that was just a one-off so i think being able to say that and say yeah so you know the, the three years before 2021 we were in new year's six bowls 
and now we're back, you know, headed that direction, I think will make a very, very strong impact on the kids we're still recruiting. Chris, I think that's I think that's gonna probably wrap us up for for this show. Do you have any any lasting I mean, we introduced you, so I don't want to say introduction. Um, do you have any any lasting message on on your first in all kinds of weather forecast episode? No, this has been great. I appreciate it. I love talking Gator football and recruiting and the successes over uh, the last month. It's an exciting time. So I uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to, to future opportunities. For sure. Well, I, I was really asking if you had any other predictions that you wanted to to go after that, that, that we hadn't covered so far. Well, I mean, we'll talk about the season in, yeah. in not so distant future, but yeah, no, but as far as recruiting, no, I mean, I think my, I, I stand on the prediction. I think we end up as a high end top 10 class, eight, 10 range, four to fifth in the sec. Um, that's where I think we finish. So we'll see, we'll see what happens in a couple of months. I think top five in the sec is reasonable to, to expect. Um, and I, I mean, USC and Notre Dame and, um, and Clemson and Texas are all recruiting very well. Oklahoma is going to shoot up there too. But I think top 15 seems like a certainty at this point, unless Florida loses commits, which I, as you said, I, I don't think is likely. Top 10 seems like a very reasonable goal, which did not seem to be the case not that long ago. But yep. things are definitely looking good for the Gators on the recruiting trail. Um, Chris, we, we will absolutely have you back. Welcome to our team in a – uh, you know, we can't wait to have you on more frequently and we look forward to talking real football. Yeah. I mean, this is real football, but actual on-field results uh, very, 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 very soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Neil. Oh, for sure, dude. Thank you. Uh, welcome aboard and go Gators. All right. Go Gators.